This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Book Slut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. Hey folks, just a content warning. This episode mentions abusive relationships and some discussion of rape. As always, please take care of yourself, and if those topics aren't something you want to hear about today, now's a good time to switch us off. Okay, I want to take us back to a different time, Sam. A different time. <laughs> it's 2009. I Got a Feeling is number one in the Australian charts. Oh, really? Did you look that up? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> good for context. Yeah. Kevin Rudd is Prime Minister. Kevin 07. Kevin 07, exactly. <laughs> And a London television executive named Erica Leonard begins writing fan fiction on a website devoted to Twilight. It's picked up through a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> and the week that the first book in the series went on sale, which I think is 2012, mm-hmm. it hits number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. We are, of course, talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. Ooh. <laughs> And, I mean, obviously our plan was originally to kind of use it as a jumping off point for having a little chat about BDSM, which... Bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. Yeah. So we were going to chat about that, and and we will because it is like a part of it, but what happened was we we both just got a little too involved in the book itself. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that it's worth like exploring a fair bit about the book itself and kind of like the cultural phenomenon around it because yep. it really has shone a light on romance fiction, romance. Uh, I don't want to call it erotica because it's not erotica; mm. it's erotic romance, I guess. It's yeah. on the, like the more sexy end of a romance novel. It really catapulted BDSM into the limelight yeah. and we'll kind of talk a bit about why we we think it got so popular or like <laughs> what we've read about it but it's good to keep in note that like it, this is obviously not the first book to write about these matters yeah. i mean and you you have like essentially the namesakes of it you have the marquis de sade yeah which i read uh <laughs> when i was quite young was it in your Hundred books to yes. read before you die. I read both of his. <laughs> He's got two big ones. Um, yep, highly problematic books. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, and then I also I didn't know as well, but in 1870, there's also uh, the book, the story of O, which yep. I knew about, but I didn't realize that the name Leopold von Sacher Masoch is also the namesake for masochism. Yeah. Which yeah. I didn't know before this. I Neither like, did That's I. Fine. Learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth... Um, I think it's one that we sort of wanted, wanted to do, but we're kind of like shying away from because it's it's such a big one, but it's also like super cringe. And I think that whenever I talk to people about this podcast, they're like, oh yeah, like Fifty Shades of Grey. And I'm like, no. Yeah, also on that note... It's 500 fucking pages. <laughs> I didn't realize that going into it. You and didn't know what you were signing up for. It took those 500 pages out of my flesh. <laughs> it was, I'm, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be upfront. This book is heinous. I hated it. <laughs> I, I truly, truly hated it. So for more context... So, Abby's read the book. I've never read the book. Neither of us have seen any of the films before. No. Up until this point, my interaction with this book was that uh, at Sam and my old house, an old housemate had <laughs> had left the three books, and sometimes when drunk, I would do dramatic readings. <laughs> they were great. They were great. Isn't it funny how we ended up essentially <laughs> the exact that. same thing? <laughs> so, I think also, just before we like dive in, something that struck me a lot 
when reading about it though, and I think we need to address it uh, like up front, is that it's very possible to be critical of this book while still having respect for the romance genre, while still having respect for erotica, while still having respect for kink, especially BDSM. A lot of the critiques that I've read kind of lumped these things in together and were quick to like be like, ha ha ha, this is ridiculous. Romance books are ridiculous. Mm. Things that women read are ridiculous. Mm. And I just want to be like careful as we tread these waters, which we do in most of these episodes, to make sure that like that people know that you can engage critically with a book like this without being dismissive of everything else around it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I have like thought about that a bit actually while reading this. Um, because I know it's a really popular book. I know a lot of people liked it. And there are positives. I do have a list of positives <laughs> that, I'll, that I'll get to. But it was also just about... I mean, a lot of the problems that I had with this book is I you can do better. Yeah. You yeah. know, we can do better. Yeah. This chick, E.L. James, I don't think she can do better, but <laughs> she should have. So... Yeah, I mean, yes, I I agree with you. It should have been done better, but we—it's a good point to remember that we do hold works to this higher standard, or that they are subject subject subjected to more like vitriol when they are by women for a female audience. It's just yeah, it's a recurring theme of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, in stark contrast. To our last episode. There is no plot in this book. (laughs) In these 500 pages. It's a good break. I was tired of plot. (laughs) So there are things that happen, but I don't think I would call it a plot as such. (laughs) The plot is summarized as girl meets boy. That's it. There There are issues. Also, surprisingly, it's not actually just a story about Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey. It's a story about Anastasia Steele, Christian Grey, Anastasia Steele's subconscious. Oh. And Anastasia Steele's inner goddess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they get a lot of mentions. Oh, God. A lot of fucking mentions. Like they're real people. So Anastasia Steele also maybe should speak to a therapist. <laughs> Because it's a lot of like, my subconscious was hiding behind a chair while my inner goddess was dancing to the maracas. Like, it's, <laughs> I was not prepared for that, but I have some cl- I have some good quotes it so does... that we can experience both of these personalities of Anastasia Steele. Oh, good! It does make me think immediately of um, in my dad wrote a porno when Belinda's mind does all this stuff, <laughs> yes, like separate to yes, her body. Yes, yeah, it's very like that. <laughs> it's very like that. Um, I had one that's like not really related to much else, but I just loved it so much. My subconscious is furious, Medusa-like in her anger, hair flying, her hands clenched around her face like in Edmund Munch's The Scream. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, so she like properly like envisages. Oh yeah, her, her subconscious has like glasses. She's like a kind of like stern, kink shaming, slut shaming librarian. Oh wow! And the inner goddess is like she dances a lot. That's... So they're like kind of like almost like separate characters. Yeah, I mean, except that from what I gather, it was written appallingly. <laughs> That's kind of an interesting like literary device. <laughs> So like, well done. <laughs> but to tie back to our last episode, E.L. James, big fan of the ellipses, big oh. fan of the dot, dot, dot. And you know how I feel about a dot, dot, dot. Look, Abby, <laughs> I don't know how you expect people to convey suspense. Otherwise. Oh, okay. How about this one? His voice is warm and husky, like dark melted chocolate, fudge caramel, dot, 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 or something. <laughs> oh, that's so lazy. <laughs> Or another misc confectionery of your choice. <laughs> also, that I just got really big deja vu from our very first yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where his eyes were bittersweet melted chocolate yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway, so, so plot-wise, right? Yeah. Anastasia meets Christian Grey when she goes to interview him for 
her university's newspaper because her best friend is sick who's supposed to do the interview. Well, that was a lot of plot. I mean, is that the plot? <laughs> that's just like... That's just like a thing that happened in her life. Okay, go on. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen. <laughs> right. I just feel like on a broader scale, you know. <laughs> so he's presenting awards at her graduation. Okay. But he's quite young. I can't remember exactly how old. But... 28. Okay, there you go. And she's 21 or something. Yeah, think about that. Wait, wait, wait. Because he's a billionaire, right? Yeah, or a multi-billionaire or something, yeah. And just like, that should be a red flag in and of itself. No 28-year-old <laughs> has accrued that much wealth unless they're evil or their family was evil. Yeah, well, so he's adopted. Um, okay. Does that come up? In it does come up and there's a whole thing. Oh. There's a whole thing is about it. Really... It's, it's part of the, like, this is why I am into BDSM, essentially, is because of oh. all of these terrible things that happened in my past. We'll get to that. Okay. So as I went through the book, because I was reading it in bed, I would also kind of do little summaries of the chapters. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> At the end, so I could remember. Abby's just showing me her scribbles in the in the book. <laughs> yeah, I also have scribbles in the back. They look like I mean... rage scribbles. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I do have a lot of underlines that just say nope. So, <laughs> but um, so I have my first problem came up on page seven, uh, where she like literally trips over going in to conduct the interview, and it's like this. Classy I'm a bumble- yeah, like I'm this bumbly girl. And she's embarrassed about it, right? And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But then I started thinking, and so the first chapter is 16 pages. Uh-huh. I counted in the 16 pages how often she was embarrassed or blushing or flushed. Oh, Ten no. times. Wow, that's a high ratio of it's embarrassment like, to pages. To the point where I feel like E.L. James should actually be telling me when she's not blushing. <laughs> I want like that's the that's the like interesting part to me is when she's not like God, on fire. It already feels like it's the power dynamic is established really early yeah, in okay. this thing. She trips over, she's embarrassed, he's always cool, calm and collected. Mm. She can't tell what he's thinking and then like a vampire. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, <come on. laughs> and like at one part she says he makes her feel like an errant child. You know, like, really, really established. But I did write in this bit here of my summary of chapter one, um, nothing worse than other romances. Oh, right, as in, like, it's it's comparable to other... Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just... Well, already, I'm like, we've got a billionaire, we've got a young... Like, this is very, like, billionaire's... What is it? What was it called? The virgin... Virgin bride. Virgin <laughs> princess. Virgin something. Yeah. yeah. It's a classic formula. Yeah. Anyway, so then, I don't know, somehow, out of this, what actually sounds like a terrible interview, out of this, he decides that he's into her. So then he proceeds to, like, follow her around, essentially turns up to her place of work, which is, of course, a hardware store, and they have this, like, flirty, but she doesn't understand conversation around, like, zip ties oh, and stuff. Oh, no. Um, Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> and he's already really possessive about her. Also, like, how did he find out where she works? Oh, uh-huh. we'll get there. Uh-huh. Chapter three, uh, in my summary, I wrote Boring Conversation near-death experience <laughs> wait your near-death experience <laughs> no her near-death experience she almost runs into a bike and he saves her okay that's that yep yep then she gets drunk oh, and dear. oh no she calls when she's at a bar and she's like ah, what do you want and Pot. <laughs> That's what I mean, want. we've all been there. Oh, because she's also, like, doesn't drink alcohol. Like, this is, like... Oh, my God. So this whole, like, virtuous... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's real, like... Oh. Real. <laughs> so then he turns up at the bar. Okay. She has Sober? A... Like... Sober. Hey, baby. <laughs> she's out there with her friend. She's gotten drunk. She's been like... Blah, blah, and he's like, oh, hey. And then she's like, how did you find me? And he was like, I tracked your phone. No. No, no, no. Big red flag. What? Like, yeah. also how? I don't know. He's a billionaire. He's got, like, billionaire secrets. Fuck me. <laughs> Is she alarmed? 
She's throughout the entire book. She's like kind of alarmed, but not too alarmed. Is not because, as alarmed as she should. Is that be. because he's hot? Yes. Right. <laughs> it's because he's just like so. You know, he's Christian Grey. Yeah, right. I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about applying the Steve Buscemi test. The actor? Yeah. Wait, what's his test? So essentially, <laughs> the test is when when a character does something and like they let it slide. Or it doesn't have to be a character. Anyone, any man does something and then you let it slide and then you reposition Steve Buscemi, Buscemi in there. <laughs> And if you're still okay with it, it's fine. But if you're, like, suddenly mortified by it, (laughs) then it's probably a red flag. That's great. That's great. So, like, if Steve Buscemi showed up at my workplace. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, no, where you're drunk, having just called them. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that I briefly want to mention that really bothered me about this book, and it's, again, a whole other conversation... It's so white. It's like mm. really upper middle class white. Mm-hmm. And then there's one character who's her friend, Jose. And this uh, they're both drunk at this bar. And Christian Grey turns up when Jose is trying to make out with Anastasia mm-hmm. or Anna. And she's saying no. And he's essentially like ass- assaulting her. Right? Fuck. Okay. And so the one character who's not white gets positioned in this kind of like weird predator role. Yeah. This weird villain role, which yeah. is problematic. Problematic. To say the least. <laughs> and then it's this whole thing. And then, you know, so then Christian and Christian's always like, no, you don't know what you're getting into with me. I'm oh, broken. No, I'm it. damaged. You don't understand me. No, I hate that. And it's such. It's so common as well. Like, I don't know if you've dated people, but I've certainly dated people who have Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not in the... I'm, uh, I'm no good for you. I'll just hurt you. I'm broken. I'm a mess. Ugh. And then, like, when you date them and they do treat you like a piece of shit. And then, and then if you say anything, they're like, well, I told you I was broken. <laughs> as though that excuses their shit behavior. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. And then he goes, you know, okay, I want to fly you to Seattle in my helicopter and you need to, we need to talk about this thing that is why I, this, this thing that I have that's why I'm trying to warn you off without saying anything about it. Like just, I, do I not have get in a the, thing. Do not get in the helicopter. <laughs> no. Um, but also, he's also like, oh, are you applying for internships? Have you heard about my company? No. Like, can you... <laughs> you can't do both. This is not okay. <laughs> Look at you asserting power in different like channels. Exactly, right? And she's to be fair, she's very like, no, I don't want to go into your company. I'm looking like I'm looking at other places. He's like, tell me where. She's like, no. And so that's cool. Okay. Um, so then I wanted to read out this other thing I found really problematic. So we're now at page 84. Blah blah blah. She's about to get ready. She's getting ready to go. And her best mate Kate is hanging out. And they live together. And she says, under Kate's tireless and frankly intrusive instruction, my legs and underarms are shaved to perfection, my eyebrows plucked, and I am buffed all over. It has been a most unpleasant experience, but she assures me that this is what men expect these days. Sleek like a dolphin! (laughs) I fucking hate that. Also, 2009 or 11 or whatever, like... (sighs) Yeah. And then, so, there's just, there's like... Wait, wait. And her mate Kate isn't like, hmm, you're getting into a helicopter with a fucking stranger? <laughs> oh, well, no, this is the other thing. Kate does start to be like, you know, he's quite controlling. There are some warning bells. We should, like, you be careful. Be careful. Be careful. You know, are you sure you want to... Is that, like, in between? Are like, you sure? Like, all over her <laughs> yeah, well, this is at the beginning, okay. you know? Like, as it gets on. And then Anna just goes, you don't understand him. <laughs> you don't understand our love. Oh, you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> and it's just like, fuck me, dude. This is your best mate who yeah. is actually concerned about you. This is some dude you've known for like two weeks oh. that you're like bending over back. Anyway, so so yeah, Kate does okay. have some have some Kudos things. to Kate. So, um so I have to take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
one of the positive things that I liked about it, even though it's also kind of a negative, he's <laughs> often being like, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. You don't, like, I need your consent to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you can leave at any time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we'll talk about that a bit later because she, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's some questions about this. But they're at his house in Seattle, his massive apartment that's just like... And the other thing... I found it a little American Psycho-esque in the amount of detail she went into about all of his possessions. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. It was like rich people porn. Oh. Like, it was just like, oh, he, well, and he's got a... that's part of the fantasy, right? It's like being swept away by this billionaire man. Yeah, and it's like, oh, his apartment is actually an art gallery and he has... I don't even know how to pronounce the name of the car. Aud- Aldi's? Aldi's. <laughs> is that it? He's so poor. <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> I, also I don't know. <laughs> She's really into classic literature. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And he buys her these like super expensive. He's also showering her with really expensive, inappropriate gifts. This right? all sounds like controlling power plays. So. Yeah. So he gifts her with Tessa the Dubervilles. Dubervilles? Dubervilles. It's Dubervilles. It's definitely Dubervilles. <laughs> I was just. I was <laughs> the Durbervilles. Um, like first edition, blah, blah, blah. That would be so expensive. Yeah, super expensive. And then she's like, why'd you do it? I don't want them, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it seemed appropriate. I could hold you to some impossibly high ideal like Angel Claire or debase you completely like Alec Durberville, he murmurs, and his eyes flash dark and dangerous. If there are only two choices. I'll take the debasement. Fuck off. I whisper. And I read that. And so, I mean, maybe not everyone has read this book, but I read that and I was like, you mean the rape? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. You mean the rape of Tess, right? Like that's, this, this it's not supposed, debasement. It's not like some sort of like mysterious, dark character. Like for those who haven't read Tess of the Durbervilles, Alec is a piece of shit rapist. Yeah. Debasement? Yeah, no, no. Hard pass. Like, it was quite honestly really shocking for also, me to read that. Like, what is. It's an interesting, like, little hat tip from E.L. James to Tessa the Durbervilles. Like, what was she trying to. Obviously, she must have read it. Yeah. Like, what was she trying to convey by bringing that in? Yeah. Yeah. Thomas Hardy would be fucking turning in his grave. <laughs> so. They sleep together. This is the first time that she sees his red room of pain. Okay. So he's like, I have to show you something. And this is the other thing that bugged me about, particularly this part. It's like, you haven't talked about bondage. You haven't talked about what being a dominant is by this point. You're like, you know what the best way to introduce an entire novice is to this entire world of kink? Let's take them into a room full of, like, whips and chains and be like, this is me. (laughs) With no context whatsoever about it. Like, why? I don't get it. Like, why would you do that? You haven't, all you've done is been like, I'm damaged, I'm damaged, I'm damaged, I'm damaged. Here's a whip. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds terrifying. Also. So I have some good parts of, of the Red Room. It just sounds incredibly uncomfortable as a, as a place. There's no bedding, just a mattress covered in red red leather. Oh, no. And satin cushions piled at one end. What? A red leather mattress. <laughs> oh, you are sticking to that. I guess, like, sensation-wise, maybe that would be interesting. But it's, like, the only bedding? The only option you've got is the red leather mattress. Yeah, that... <laughs> Can you take, like, the leather off? Bitch to clean. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, so this is when we first get introduced to this idea of, of BDSM. Right. In in the kind of uh, sexual context, not in the kind of that he's a dominant control. I think they've made that very clear. Yeah. So, yeah, the control thing has already come up a lot to this point where there are things like he always orders for her. He's oh. really upset by like what, she, like that she doesn't eat because she can't eat around him because oh. she's like so nervous and and whatever. 
I don't know. You, I can't tell if you're cherry picking or if I just genuinely hate everything in this book. No, you genuinely hate everything in this book. I honestly, <laughs> like, no. This is this is not cherry. I've gone pretty, like, in-depth with lots of the steps at this point. <laughs> he calls her Anastasia when she explicitly tells him that she prefers to be called Anna. Okay. And he makes a point of calling her Anastasia. Right. There's a part where she's like, I... You know, the waitress comes over, he orders Pinot Grigio. She's like, no, I want Coke. And he's like, no, you'll have Pinot Grigio. Like, that's... No, I will ply you with alcohol, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, there's parts where he plies her with alcohol because he, she doesn't communicate with him otherwise. So he, like, actually admits to getting her drunk so that she would tell him how she feels. That's right. later on in the book. Fuck me. You know, one time she calls him, she'll talk to him after work and she doesn't. And she has five missed calls on her phone and a voicemail. Like he purchases two tickets on a plane so that no one can sit next to her. Yeah, there's a lot. That's so all of this stuff within that book, that's not done in like a, within a sort of context of like, like that's not sexual. No. So what happens, skipping ahead, essentially he gives her a contract that sets things out and um, we'll talk a bit about that, but she doesn't sign it for most of the book. She hasn't signed. Most of the book is just, will I sign it? Won't I sign it? Will I sign it? Won't I sign it? I don't know. Oh, I love him. Oh, but he loves this thing. Will I sign it? Won't I sign it? That's the, that's the book. Yeah. Um, So all of this stuff is happening with like the knowledge well some of it happens with the knowledge like once she's in this red room of pain which i fucking hate that title but anyway with the knowledge of like kind of what he's into like this kink but not in the context they haven't discussed it yeah in the context of like this is okay this is not okay yeah okay because it sounds like because like not all dom sub relationships are strictly in the bedroom yeah, you know, like there are plenty of people who who consensually engage in like a dom sub dynamic outside of the bedroom. But like what you're describing to me sounds more like an abusive relationship. <laughs> yeah, and and he says, you know, I'm into twenty four seven like dominant sub. So yeah. there is some, but without any explanation of what that is. Also, like that's a fucking leap. Like yeah. if you. If you've never engaged in anything like that before, and also like the book itself, like BDSM in a mainstream context is pretty new, and you want to skip straight to 24 7? Like, that's pretty full on. Yeah. So she gets introduced to this, and this is kind of where we start seeing the real, like, her reactions to it are pretty much discussed throughout the entirety. So she says, you know. What is the appropriate response to finding out a potential lover is a complete freaky sadist or masochist? Fear. Yes, that seems to be the overriding feeling. Right? Right. So she's not, like, having a good time. No. He likes to hurt women. The thought depresses me. Jeez. Okay. Um, you know, Kate had said he was dangerous. She was so right. He's dangerous to my health. Because I know I'm going to say yes. And a part of me doesn't want to. A part of me wants to run screaming from this room and all it represents. I'm so out of my depth here. Yeah, right. Okay. You know, this is what I cannot reconcile. Kind, caring Christian who rescues me from inebriation and holds me gently Mm. while I'm throwing up into the azaleas. And the monster who possesses whips and chains in a special room. So, like, the thing that upsets me about some of these is that, like... I mean, there's lots of things to be upset about, but like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like she's actually able to, like, even if she's consenting to things, which it sounds like there is some level of consent happening. It's like, well, if you're internally like having those kind, it doesn't sound like she's able to express that she's uncomfortable or that she needs to slow, slow things down. It sounds like she's like really just trying to like appease Christian out of fear of losing him or out of fear of whatever the fuck might happen. I actually read uh, an article called Double Crap, Abuse (laughs) and Harmed Identity in Fifty Shades of Grey. And essentially what the um, researchers did is a bunch of them analyzed the book with reference to the, the US Center for Disease Control, the CDC. They've got definitions of emotional abuse and sexual violence. And they go through and like they cross-reference with that like official (laughs) document and they and yeah and they essentially found that it 
there were like so many examples of behavior the stalking the intimidation the isolation where you like limit social contact with other people use of alcohol to compromise consent um dismissing people's boundaries and also like her behavior doing this like when she's got the constant sort of perceived threat altering her identity and stress managing so like behaviors to try to like keep the peace Mm. all of those things are like very well recognized and she but the thing i didn't realize about this as well is that she does not give a shit about his boundaries either oh so interesting he doesn't like being touched okay and she does not respect that at all Oh, so because that's the thing that you don't often hear when you when you read about yeah Fifty Shades. So the two things that really surprised me was that like she doesn't she he's like I don't like being touched because he has like some sort of trauma which I still don't know about. I'm yeah. not gonna read the rest of the books to find out. And she is constantly kind of like she touches him and then he he kind of pulls away and then she gets upset by it. Yeah. Right. Okay. But it's also like he's explicitly told you that he doesn't want to be touched. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And then he also is like, I don't want to be in a relationship. I don't want to, like, he doesn't sleep with his partners in the same bed as his partners. And that's something that she just cannot deal with. Yeah. And will often ask him to sleep in the bed with her. And then she does, and then he does. And him doing those things are seen as him recovering. Oh yeah. This all like, oh, I can fix him. Yeah. Like my love will fix him through touch. Like if I can't touch him, I can't show him how much I love him. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, there's that. And then there's also... So it turns out that he was initially a sub. Oh. He was in a sub relationship with an older woman, which is his mother's friend. He was 15. Oh, no. And she was older. Okay. I don't know, in her 40s or something, I guess. And yeah, there are also power dynamics there that I think we can all recognize as problematic. They were in a relationship for a really long time, Christian and this woman. Like, I think, I can't remember, like six years or nine years or something. So, you know, he grew up with this. Anastasia, or Anna, cannot let it go. Yeah, okay. Cannot let this go. The amount of hatred she has for this older woman is disproportionate and really fucked up. It, uh, it's interesting how, like, I mean, the 15 thing is 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 hard to look past but it's also like from E.L. James point of view it's like why Why did you feel the need for him to have this thing in his life because it is it's used as a way to like explain that and the fact that his birth mother was a a, and to quote crack whore oh my god are used to explain like why he's into why he's into BDSM yeah and sure like some people are into it because they there are maybe they are working through some stuff and there is some trauma sure but that's not the case for everyone and it kind of demonizes it in a way that i'm not super comfortable with but also like it sounds to me like it's an opportunity for el james to be like to essentially shame that relationship and be like this is really fucked up look how terrible this is Mm. like they're in this long-term dom sub relationship and it's this thing that runs through the entire book is that like And I was reading an article that was saying, you know, BDSM is presented as a pathology. Yeah. It's not presented as a thing people do for pleasure. Yeah. Because they enjoy it. It's presented as like some sort of deviant, again, deviance kind of thought process. So essentially, then you get like two chapters of the contract. I felt like I was back As a legal at fucking mind, law school. How do you feel about the contract? Was it-, <laughs> it, it sucked. Can you be no. legally bound in a... No. And they make a... She makes a point of saying that it's not legal. Like, he can't legally bind her in that way. It's just not a thing. It's, okay. it's essentially just a, a, a method to, like, go through the, the yeah. okays and not okays. There would have to be some level of discussion around... Yeah, and they have things like, you know, hard limits, right? And his hard limits are hard, you know. Uh, no acts involving urination or defecation, no acts involving needles, no acts involving gynecological medical instruments. Fair, that's fair. All of those are fair. Leave any permanent marks on the skin, breath control, direct contact of electric current. Wait, breath control? Yeah. Fire play, you know. these. So, like, you know, quite... 
And then, but her response is, ugh, he has to write these down. Of course, they all look very sensible and frankly necessary, dot, dot, dot. Any sane person (laughs) wouldn't want to be involved in this sort of thing, surely. Though I now feel a little queasy. Again, like shaming within a book that's supposedly supposed to be like... Yeah. There's a there's, positive. Yeah, there's a lot of Also, like, yes, you need to be that explicit. Yeah. Like, are you gonna do sign a fucking contract and the next thing it gets out a fucking flamethrower? <laughs> yeah. Well, she signs an NDA, a non disclosure agreement, without looking at it. Uh she doesn't fucking look at it, she just signs it. <laughs> but I'll make sure I always come to you with my <laughs> contracts for BDSM and NDA. I mean, I did say this is a shittily drafted contract and he should fire his sex lawyer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So they have a lot of email flirty banter. They meet each other's parents. It just goes on this real heteronormative couple thing in the end. And then you, like, it's quite far in that they get to some kinky sex. In the end, he beats her. She says... You know, I want to feel the worst punishment, essentially. And he beats her, and then she uh, leaves. And it's left on this, like, will they ever get together kind of thing. She leaves, and she says, This is what you really like? Me, like this? I use the sleeve of the bathrobe to wipe my nose. He gazes at me warily. Well, you are one fucked up son of a bitch. Anna, he pleads shocked. Don't you dare enemy. You need to sort your shit out, Gray. And with that, I turn stiffly and I walk out of the playroom, closing the door quietly behind me. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's really essentially like the whole thing. She's like, show me, I whisper, show you, show me how much it can hurt. What? Punish me. I want to know how bad it can get. It's like this constant, she's consenting to things, but she hates them. Yeah. And she does it. And it's explicit. She does it because she doesn't want to lose him. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not consent and it's also just not (laughs) what bdsm is supposed to be about no for a man who's never had vanilla sex before this whole fucking book is so full of vanilla sex (laughs) that like you don't get to kinky stuff until quite far in so i'm assuming but and what i've read is that essentially what happens is that they go back to vanilla sex later on in the book yeah and they end up getting married yeah because it's seen as like healing and emotional oh. and the kinky sex is seen as as abnormal. You know, that's kind of yeah. what it is. Every time they have vanilla sex, it's like this real caring thing and BDSM is not shown in that way at all. It's not shown that it's even possible to care yeah. and have those sorts of things in it. So I did just want to play a real quick game oh God. of virginity bingo. Oh no! <laughs> okay. Because... She's a virgin, obviously. Of course she's a virgin! Uh, I will say on the positives, I do have two positives about the sexy scenes outside of the kink thing. Period sex. Oh! There's a period sex scene. Which period was sex. Gonna... <laughs> period sex. He like pulls her tampon out. Oh, period oh, sex. oh, oh. Yeah. I would be, I think I would be mortified if someone... I would, I would be like, what if... What if it comes out? You know, like, sometimes there's extra blood up there, you know? And it just... Also, like, I kind of hate the sensation of a tampon. Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of like a little, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not sexy. Well, I mean, it's maybe for some. Yeah, I mean, who knows? And, um, they... So they talk a lot about birth control. Um, and they just... And they discuss safe words. So he says up front, like, yellow, red safe words, right? Yellow to slow, red to stop. Yeah. But she never uses them. Well, she doesn't feel safe to use yeah. them. So, virginity tropes. Oh, no. Did they break her hymen? Did she bleed? <laughs> so, oh, that's the other thing. She uses down there to oh. mean vagina. Oh. In a lot of the sex scenes. Uh, the effects of which travel all the way down there. Ooh, there my, is always italicized. My mysterious <laughs> down <lady> there. Ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. My breathing is still ragged as I come down from my orgasm. She has. Does she come at the drop of a hat? Yeah, yeah, she does. Of course, she, she, she fucking really, does. She once comes in her sleep. No, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm jealous. I know, I'm so <laughs> jealous. Yeah, she has a dream about him hitting her with a riding crop, and she comes. I mean, that's pretty hot. Yeah, but also, like, I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Um, his hand moves down my waist to my hips and then cups me intimately. Dot dot dot. Jeez. His finger slips through the fine lace and slowly circles around me. There. Italicized. 
Briefly, he closes his eyes and his breathing hitches. You're so deliciously wet. God, I want you. (laughs) Then he pulls off his pants and she looks at his penis, kneels up and pulls a condom onto his considerable length. Oh no, dot, dot, dot. Will it? How? Don't worry, he breathes, his eyes on mine. You expand too. Oh, Oh, no. I mean, uh, kudos for condoms. Yeah, yeah, they're big on the safe sex, which is also a good one. I hope they're cleaning all their sex toys. (laughs) Arg. Arg. (laughs) I cry as I feel a weird pinching sensation deep inside me as he rips through my virginity. Oh, dear. Then he, like, fingers her for a little bit and then uh, puts his hand up for her to to lick. Classic move. (laughs) I taste the saltiness on his thumb and the faint metallic tang of blood. I, I... uh... We both glance down at the bed at the same time. There's blood on the sheets. Evidence of my lost virginity. Ding, ding, ding! (laughs) Bingo! Yahtzee! Fucking hell. So that was, that was the con- condensed about 10 pages. That's insane though, like to go from virginity to Red Room of Pain in what? How many days? How, like a couple of weeks, if that? Yeah, like a, like a week and a half, two weeks or something. I think the whole, this book takes place over like two months or something. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So it's, it's this kind of, they do that and then they... There is, like, the final sex scene is probably the kinkiest, and it's, like, pretty hot. Okay, so here's the other thing. Some of the best parts of this book were the sex. Yeah. Like, the sex was actually fine. It's just, I couldn't get out of my head about all of the terrible things that were going on around Of course, yeah. That wasn't, like... And, like, maybe that's part of the popularity as well. It's, like, people are maybe willing to overlook all the other terrible stuff if the sex is good and and it gets you going yeah so you know essentially she goes into the red room of pain in the last one and one of the lines is and this is why i can't get out of my head with this stuff because it's this line after all he's done i have to man up and take whatever he decides he wants whatever he thinks he needs man up (laughs) problematic god um but essentially he ties her to the bed he blindfolds her and he puts headphones on her playing like this choral music. He's also really into like opera and shit. Cause of course he is. <laughs> um, and then he, that also sounds a little bit American psycho. Yeah. It's, it's a little like, it's a little too decadent, you yeah. know? Um, and then he uses a riding crop that he bought. That's exactly the same as the one she had a dream about. Yeah. Okay. And like drags it over her body and you know, hits her on her clit, which is, like, great aim. And then just, like, kind of plays with her for a bit and then has sex with her while she's, like, tied up on the bed. Yeah, like, that's hot. Super hot. And she can't, like, she can't even hear... You know, all of her senses are kind of gone except for touch. Yeah. She's got the music. She's got the blindfold. It's a lot of sensory deprivation stuff, which is super cool. Yeah. It's a shame about all of the nonsense around it. (laughs) And I think that's, like... It's frustrating, right? Because, like... There are, there are really healthy, ethical, consensual ways to practice BDSM and, how, and to, like, combine sex and pain, but they do require some level of self-knowledge and being able to reflect on what it is you actually, like, want and need and communication skills and some level of emotional maturity. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think the best thing that I read was this quote from Esther Perel, who is a sex therapist. And it said, she, she said, I find it amazing that this country at this point is going to spill quantities of ink talking about Fifty Shades when it doesn't even have a basic education on sex. Yeah. Yeah. And that is so spot on. You know, like you just skipped ahead. Yeah. It's like this, you've, we've taken something out of its context, put it into the mainstream and now are just like run wild. And I was thinking about it on a kind of personal note And I was thinking about, you know, my part, like having sex, having casual sex during this time and thinking about the amount of um, like the increase that I saw without realizing. And I'm 
not sure that it's exactly caused by Fifty Shades, but the increase that I saw of things like choking, yeah, totally, things like pulling hair, yeah, all of this without asking any consent whatsoever yeah. because it was just normal mainstream, yeah, sex. Now I was thinking similarly, like choking, hair pulling, some spanking, mm. all pretty like regarded as pretty standard. And and the problem is that what is regarded as standard is regarded as not needing consent. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like it's it's like these the acts have expanded without the need to talk about it. So yeah. like if consent was also in the mainstream, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, totally. Because we'd be able to talk about it, but it's not. You end up halfway through and suddenly someone's hands are around your throat. Yeah. And that can be an incredibly triggering experience Absolutely. for a lot of people. <laughs> so many people. And that, I think, is like one of the biggest issues with this book is that it strips this idea of kink and BDSM from a really important context that, in you know, that brings in trust and communication and consent. So I guess the question is like, why was it so popular? And I read this interesting stat actually that said uh, 9% of practicing Christian women in America have read at least the first book, which is roughly the same as the percentage of all women who have read Fifty Shades across the country. Yeah. Well, something that I think is really apparent from what I've read and also from what I'm hearing from you is that, like, the book seems to reflect back, like, conventional, uh, like, traditional values Mm -hmm. with, like, this sort of, like, thin layer of something a little bit more exciting and daring and um, out there over the top. But, like, at its core is kind of this, like very formulaic we've been here before we know the the storyline very like adhering to sort of prescribed gender roles in terms of um i mean they use the language of dom sub but it's kind of just falls into the trap of like male female kind of yeah and if anything it's kind of like it felt like to me that they were using this dom sub terminology to excuse really, really traditional gender roles. Yeah. Like, oh, no, 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 it's just because he's dominant that he pays for all of her stuff and showers these expensive gifts on her. And it's, you know, because she's a sub that she has this lower power dynamic in every aspect of their lives. Totally. And it's like, no. And I think that (laughs) does have a a role to play in how it became so popular because, like, the romance genre, like, holds up the rest of publishing, really. Mm. Um, And the areas that they're most popular are often, you know, middle-aged women, essentially, and a lot of women in, in the U.S. in some of the more conservative areas. And so when you have something like Fifty Shades of Grey that still ticks that box it's going to be more popular than something that was like more genuinely like subversive. Cause it's not subversive. I yeah, don't think it's subversive no, in any way. No. Um, and yeah, it's actually, I was also reading that in the first couple of years after their publication, the overall romance novel market saw an increase. Yeah. So did, people yeah. were buying romance, more romance books afterwards. And I think a lot of that is like it, was so in the mainstream it became more okay yeah to buy romance which is i think a good outcome i mean it's complicated right yeah. like the story is complicated yeah. as well <laughs> yeah. you, like and and its consequences are complicated there are positives and there are negatives it's yeah. about kind of where you fall on the side to me it, there were too many negatives in that book i have more concern now having read it than i did before mm. having just read people's opinions on it. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, <laughs> So for those who like kind of like don't comprehend just how popular this book is, we're talking over 125 million copies translated into 52 languages. At the height of its popularity, it was selling two copies every second. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so there's something that I found really fascinating. And given that we've had a conversation about fanfic, in the past so this did start as fanfic as we mentioned before also a side note before she called herself el james her old pseudonym 
was Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> She'd fit in in field. <laughs> and it was originally called The Master of the Universe. And because there's such huge community of Twilight fans who also write fan fiction and the fan fiction community is like fiercely loyal and really active essentially this book rose to like because the the question that a lot of people ask i think is like well how does just like one shitty romance book get so big compared to all the other shitty romance books Mm. and I, i think a really big part of it is that she had the backing of a huge online fanfic community so she's kind of capitalized on that community on the fanfic community but also on the twilight yeah community which i think is really interesting and it's so i read the first twilight book in high school um to prove a point because i'm an asshole and i can see like to me it's really obvious she her character is so like bella and the problems that i had with bella are replicated yeah in anna like this bumbling character that anybody can put their opinions and their personality onto like it's it's really similar to see and the same relationship structure edward is you know this older yeah you know quite relatively controlling calm yeah yeah so something that stood out to me though was when the book was picked up by random house and like formally published they sort of acknowledged the fanfic origins but really downplayed it and they said in a statement that like E.L. James had rewritten the book and that the the original was like completely different works from what they have published, um, like really downplayed like the similarities and things like that because it it is so similar to Twilight. <laughs> um, but then some people ran it through Turnitin, which for those who haven't been at university recently is like a comparative software, so you can like detect plagiarism. And they found that the so the original stuff that she was pub- publishing, self-publishing as fanfic, is ex- pretty much exactly the same as what was published. And there's a whole lot of like controversy in, in the fanfic community because they're essentially like you're profiting off yeah all right. of our labor yeah um, and off kind of indirectly Stephanie Meyer's work yeah off their labor because what they commented on it or. Well, because the process, because it was done in little installations, and the process that a lot of fanfic communities have is they offer feedback they and they offer prompts for more writing. Um, they also were some of the people who were so quick to make it like so popular mm. that it even got published and then kind of like drove. We're talking like thousands and thousands of people online. Yeah. Drove that initial like word of mouth buzz. Yeah. Um, and the, the fanfic community is just kind of like shitty yeah about it yeah i think i think it is hard it's hard to kind of go back to what we we're saying at the beginning of having respect for the art form if not the individual piece of art yeah it's hard for me to think that people like this book is essentially like the the birth of the real mainstream idea of like mummy mummy porn yeah and that kind of thing and it's so easy to dismiss something like this. Yeah. Because, quite honestly, it's very poorly written. <laughs> and that is upsetting to me. Yeah. Because you could have, like, I wish that it had have been something that I could have enjoyed in some way. Yeah. Or that anybody with a critical thought, like, critical thinking lens yeah. had turned their eye to this at any point. Like, it's not that long ago that it shouldn't have raised red flags for someone. Yeah. It feels like a huge missed opportunity for me, and it feels upsetting that it, like, essentially confirms these stereotypes about how terrible this kind of story, like, how terrible romance and erotica is and how terrible books that are written for women are. Like, it confirms that, like, really tired narrative, and so it's upsetting to, like, see that play out, you know? Mm. I find what you're saying really interesting about how you are more negative on it now that you've now that you've read it because I think something to like wind this up on is to reflect a little bit about how like on the one hand there are a lot of positives in that it raised awareness of 
female sexuality and women reading for pleasure or in, or consuming con- like content for pleasure. I think sake. also like a hope would be that people would talk about this. Yeah. Who normally wouldn't talk about something like BDSM. Yeah. And then they might research if, it. <laughs> yeah. Then they might look into it. You know, they might yeah. actually look further into it. That's that's like a hope. Yeah. Out of it. You know. Yeah. But the other, the alternative, like the, the the opposing argument to that is it does more harm than good because it perpetuates such negative um, ideas around BDSM, completely rep- misrepresents BDSM and conflates it with abuse and sexual violence in a way that just kind of is not savable. And I think that that's a sort of tricky thing to grapple with. I don't, I mean, I think it's a bit of column A, column B, mm. but it sounds like having read it. Yeah, I th- I think the thing for me is that it was quite upsetting to read, I yeah. think. And um and I don't know if maybe I had have read it earlier, I would have thought differently. I definitely don't think I would have had as strong of a reaction, but it it felt different to the other romances that we've read that have been problematic. It was so entwined in this. So I did put it to uh, Instagram to find out what some of our followers think. So, in general, not a super popular book amongst <laughs> our followers. So, like, I asked at one point, like, what people's impression of it was, and got things like it just kind of seemed like a slightly racier Mills and Boone. Yep, definitely. Glamorizes abuse, super heteronormative, hated it. Yep. And this, I will, there is a point there, like, they do also make some, like, light, no homo jokes oh, in it. Yeah. God. And then this one I thought summed it up really nicely. Tacky and predictable. <laughs> um, at some point I asked as well about whether they thought it was, like, a fair representation of BDSM. And people were commenting things like, that there was a lack of communication, not any, there's no trust between them, um, perpetuated like bad stereotypes, this like deviant idea. And then I liked this one that acknowledged that it touched on some really basic concepts, but kind of felt like the bras and things version of BDSM. <laughs> Which will only be funny to bra shoppers <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, but that's like, so on point. Yeah. That's so on point. A lot of people got in touch, like, kind of saying that, like, it seemed like a lot of people really reluctantly read it. Like, they read it because they could recognize that it's, like, a cultural phenomenon and wanted to know what the hype was about. Which I get. I get that. I think it's understandable. But you could almost sense in some of the comments coming from people that it was like, yeah, I read it. But here's why I read it. Like, I didn't like like it. (laughs) Yeah, when I bought this from Savers for $3, I was like, put it quickly on the counter face down and I think that's really interesting because it's like yes it's brought into the mainstream but it hasn't really dealt with any of the shame yeah but also I think at this point we've come full circle like it's shameful to have it like there's been so many op-eds about it yeah that particularly for women of our age totally like having it is a bit like oh there's also I think it's an interesting like almost like a classist aspect to it, like this sort of like highbrow, lowbrow mm. dichotomy. And obviously people like something about it, you know? Yeah. Like there's no questioning that. People are reading it. And then you've got like the critiques and the reviewers who I think kind of hold themselves on a different level. Yeah. Sort of like poo-pooing it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's good. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it does. It's like you intellectualize it so much that it's like, oh, well, I don't like it because me, an intellectual, you know, and then therefore everyone who does like it is on this lower, which happens across the board with romance. Yeah. Like, it's something that I thought about a lot when I was reading it because I did truly, truly hate it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was like, where can I go with this without <laughs> sounding, yeah, like incredibly classist and, and without doing the exact same thing that people do to romance in general? And obviously I didn't succeed in not doing <laughs> that. Um, and we will eventually do a proper episode on a more in-depth look at BDSM. Aside from Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we could have done it. We, I I think, like, lumping the two in together is actually... Because this is not BDSM. No. 
you know, and we should find something that actually shows it as as is. Yeah, I agree. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.